Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'll ask you to turn back to Acts chapter 10. Uh, last week we studied together the different messages that God had for Cornelius, and then Peter also had a vision and a message, and in that God has a message for you and I. And this morning we get to see um, that what God was sovereignly orchestrating there, we get to see that come to fru- fruition. Um, as Paul Allen read, um, Cornelius and, and others who were present with them, they hear the gospel and they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are the first Gentile converts to Christianity listed in the book of Acts. Um, Pastor and professor Dr. Joel Beek, he describes everything that's going on here in chapter 10 this way. God prepared the soil, that was Cornelius and his household, and then God brought the sower of the seed, here a follower of Jesus named Peter, to share the gospel with them, and then through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, using the word of God that Peter shared, God God gave a harvest of these souls. They all trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, all of that was sovereignly orchestrated by God. And that's always the way salvation occurs. Too often, we fail to see God's sovereign hand in each and every step. Uh, Too often, we fail to see God sovereignly presenting us opportunities uh, all the time to, as we are going to make disciples, we might not recognize uh, God's sovereign hand in using his word to get the gospel to people's hearts. Or we might forget that the Holy Spirit sovereignly calls those who are spiritually dead to spiritual life. And if we are going to be encouraged and empowered and successful in doing what Jesus has told us to do, as you are going, make disciples. Well, it's essential that we see God's sovereign hand in it all. And it's essential that we begin this disciple-making process by seizing all of those sovereign opportunities that God regularly presents to us each day. Before we study this verse by verse, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit who's present in the lives of every single follower of Jesus Christ, your every person that's received Christ as Savior. May he uh, have completely unobstructed uh, freedom in, in illuminating the truth of your word to us. I pray that our hearts would be yielded to whatever it is um, you want to teach us, but also how it is that you want us to respond this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the very first section here, verses 24 to 35, we see this audience that's assembled. I hope you can see in chapter 10 how all of this has been, without a doubt, arranged by God. I mean, from the vision and message that God had for Cornelius to the vision and message that God had for Peter, that was all in the first part of chapter 10 that we looked at last week, uh, to what we find here in verse 24. And it says, And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, uh, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and his near friends. And so it's not just Cornelius, uh, Peter and um, those Uh, servants and soldier that uh, Cornelius had sent to retrieve Peter. Uh, Peter also brings some other Jewish Christians with him. Uh, They all go to uh, 
Cornelius' house. And it's not just Cornelius that's there. And it's not just Cornelius and Cornelius' family. In fact, uh, he's brought his kinsmen and his near friends there as well. Every key character here, uh, every person present in this audience that's awaiting Peter's arrival, they weren't there just by fate. Uh, or, or happenstance. It is the definite doing of our sovereign, gracious God. And verse 25 tells us that when Peter gets to the house, Cornelius falls down uh, at Peter's feet and he begins to worship him. Now, Peter won't have any of that, rightly so. Peter tells him to get up. Uh, in verse 26, listen to what Peter says. He says, stand up, for I myself also am a man. Peter's telling Cornelius, hey, buddy, don't, don't do that. <laughs> All right, um, we're the same, you and I. Oh boy, what a difference a few days makes, doesn't it? Because that's not how Peter felt about Gentiles a few days ago. You know, this is uh, definitely an account of the conversion of Cornelius from lost to found, from uh, unsaved to saved, but it's just as much uh, an account of the conversion of Peter. He had been saved. But uh, definite conversion, uh, Holy Spirit changing his perspective, his way of thinking. What a difference in Peter's life because he listened to and he understood and then he responded, responded to the message that God had for him last week. That it's time to get the gospel to those who are not uh, ethnically just like you. That might be a little bit different than you. And that message from God to Peter, uh, it was repeated by Peter in verse 28. Says Peter said unto them, You know that it is an unlawful um, thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or, or even to come unto one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter has now made the connection uh, between that vision he had last week of all those animals uh, being lowered in that, in that sheet uh, and what God was really saying in it. Like I said, that was not just about lunchtime, it had much broader a deeper and more important applications. In verse 29, Peter tells his audience that, that God had assembled here and had arranged. Y'all have sent for me. Uh, I've come here without gainsaying as a King James Version uh, word, without objection. I've come here right away, a ASAP. What is it that you want from me? And um, Cornelius tells Peter about the vision and the message that God gave to him days earlier in verses 30 to 33. That God had specifically told him to send for Peter. And as the end of verse 33 says, we're, we're here to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. Now, what was it that Peter was supposed to communicate? The same thing that Peter's been communicating for nine chapters now. That's what Cornelius and the rest of this audience assembled here by God. That's what they need to hear. The same thing that Jesus told them to communicate back in Acts chapter 1-8, the gospel. You know, the last words of Christ in Acts 1.8, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We say here, there, and everywhere, and the emphasis here is to everyone, including Cornelius and this house full of people that God has arranged to be there. And Peter recognizes that this is an audience that has been assembled and arranged in God's sovereignty to hear this gospel message. He sees that. And more importantly, Peter seizes this sovereign opportunity to obey Christ's great commission command. This opportunity is now apprehended by Peter in verses 34 and 35. What a beautiful phrase begins verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth. 
Do you understand that there cannot be great commission, accomplishment, fulfillment, any other way? There cannot. I mean, yes, your walk needs to match your talk. Um, your works definitely need to back up your words. Those are powerful, essential gospel reinforcements. But there has to be talk. That's how the gospel is communicated. There, there has to be words. Then Peter opened his mouth. And what did Peter tell them here? Did he invite them to church? Did he tell them how to try and, and live a better, more moral life? No, Peter begins to tell them about Jesus Christ and the salvation that's found only in him. Peter tells this audience, assembled in the sovereign plan and purpose of God, he says this, I now understand that God is no respecter of persons. And Peter should have understood that uh, a long time ago before he received that vision and message from God because that's always been God's stand on the matter. Uh, it's a truth the Old Testament affirms repeatedly. God says it in Deuteronomy 10, 17, and Job 34, 19, and 2 Chronicles 19, 7. And I don't want to move on from verse 34 just yet because it's so important that we realize um, what a climactic moment this is in, in the early church and in its participation in the Great Commission. Peter is right here publicly acknowledging that Jews are no better off than the Gentiles and vice versa. He's saying everybody, everyone needs to be saved by faith alone, in God's grace alone, to us in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what Peter continues with in verse 35. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That's God's message to us in Romans 3, 23 and 24, isn't it? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In verse 24. All, all need to be justified freely through God's grace and through the redemption that's found in Jesus Christ. So um, Peter sees that God has sovereignly arranged this assembled audience to hear the gospel, and that's what Peter gives them. I want you to think about something. Does, that, does God do that for you too? Does he? Because he's given you the same exact command that he gave Peter, and he's given all the rest of those apostles and the early Christians in the early church. As you are going, make disciples, be witnesses of me. And so, do you see these sovereign opportunities that God presents to you all of the time? Do you seize them each day? That's going to require a, a new way of thinking, uh, a new awareness of why God woke you up each day, why he put you in the workplace he currently put you in. Uh, why he arranged for that cashier to be in your checkout line at the store. Why he had this happen or that happen today. And we can either see all of this as, well, that's just how life works. It's just fate and happenstance. Or we can see it for what it truly is. All of this is the sovereign uh, plan and purpose of God. Even the most seemingly minuscule occurrences in our day. We wake up, uh, and if you're like me, we, we plan our, our day, and maybe something happens, and something or, or someone gets in our way. We got some delay in our schedule. Why is every light turning red for me today? Why is that car going so slow? All right? Is that bad luck? Or is God sovereignly putting you where he wants you to do what he wants you to do. Be witnesses of me as you are going. Make disciples. 
That, you know, so often what we see as obstacles in the sovereignty of God, they're opportunities for us to do that. God, that's my prayer. God, give me. God, give Delgon First Baptist Church eyes to see how often this happens. And then actually seize these sovereign opportunities to point others to Jesus. And that's what Peter continues to do in verses 36 to 43. The gospel is given here. First of all, an apostolic witness. Um, Peter tells Cornelius and the rest of the people in his house about the one who he had talked with, Jesus. The one he had walked with, who had followed. He, he lived with him for three years. Peter tells them all about Jesus. As an apostle, as, that's what an apostle is, somebody who had visibly seen the, the resurrected Christ uh, and was chosen by God to be a messenger of the gospel in the early church. And Peter gives them his apostolic witness. He tells them all about Jesus and what he had experienced the previous three years or so. Peter tells them that Jesus was God's promised Messiah here in verses 36 to 41. That, that Christ uh, came so we'll celebrate here in the next couple of months. And that he lived among us, transforming people's lives, healing those who were sick. That uh, he came to die for our sins, verse 39. And we are witnesses, it says. But after three days, what happened? He didn't, he didn't, yes, he did, Isabella. <laughs> yes, he did. They slew him. They hanged him on a tree. But verse 40, him God raised up the third day and showed him, him openly, it says. He rose from the grave. We sung about it repeatedly this morning. Peter had seen all of this with his own eyes. The gospel is given through this apostolic witness here. Remember, they don't have Matthew through Revelation. Right now, right now. It's an apostolic witness. I know that sometimes we might be hesitant to share the gospel with people, even when we see. We see the opportunity. We might not jump to seizing it uh, because we're not sure of just what to say. Well, what's Peter doing here? I mean, in all reality, he's giving them his testimony, isn't he? Yeah. What he saw Jesus do and what Jesus had done for him. And um, if you know the gospel, it's honestly not hard to put the gospel into words easily. Peter does that here. God sent his son. I'm not going to start singing like our preacher did up there. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. That's what he says. And he came to live with us and to die for our sins. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave so that all who will believe in who he is and what he done for them, they can have new life in Christ now and eternal life with Christ in heaven one day. That's what Peter says here. And that's it. That is the gospel, what I just said there. It's not hard to recollect or share. It's pretty basic. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. I mean, that's it. And that's how Paul describes it uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Let me just read that for you. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep the memory, what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's point one of the gospel. All right. Verse four, and that he was buried, but he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he was seen of Cephas and of the 12. And after that, he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen, Paul says, of me also as one born out of due time. Paul saw him on that Damascus road, visibly. 
And that's what Peter's saying here um, in verse 41. God showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses, chosen before of God, even to us. We ate and we This was not a ghost. Jesus made them disciples a shore lunch. You remember that? They ate fish. I mean, ghosts don't eat. He was a resurrected body. That's what Peter's saying here. Exact same thing that Peter says here. And then there's a prophetic witness. As Peter continues this short little sermon to this audience, he moves from the apostolic witness to God's word. And actually, he's already referenced uh, God's word back in verses 36 and verse 37, but he really zones in on it here in verses 42 and 43. And that's so important, okay? Because your testimony, um, what Jesus has done for you, and how you got saved, your testimony is a very important tool in sharing the gospel, but it's not the gospel. Your testimony is not the gospel. Uh, our, test, our testimony cannot save anyone by itself. Only the gospel can. Only God's word can. Amen? That's how all of us came to know Christ. So that's where Peter takes them as he finishes his message to them here. In verse 42, Peter tells them that God has commanded those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior to preach to people, testifying that Jesus was ordained by God to be the judge of the quick, meaning the living, and of the dead. And that's an important element as well in the gospel that we are to present and share. Yes, Jesus is our Savior, but Jesus is also the judge. He's a judge. And that's the reason we need a Savior. And the gospel always has this feature in it. That, that's how the Romans road uh, gospel sharing tool starts out, isn't it? Romans 3.23, we already mentioned that. All have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. But thank God for Romans 6.23. It tells us that the wages of our sin is death. That's a judgment. But thank God for Romans 5.8. Right, Tracy? I know that's one of your favorites. But God commended. He showed his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And we'll go back to 623. Is the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Man, what beautiful uh, uh, truths are, are there. Takes them back to this prophetic witness. Would you look at verse 43? To him give all the prophets witness. It's taking them to God's word, the Old Testament. That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. I mean, Cornelius was a devout man. Uh, he, he knew he practiced the Jewish faith. He, he knew the Old Testament. He would have known these prophets that Peter's alluding to here. And Peter's saying, hey, th those prophets, those words in the Old Testament, they're all, all of them are pointing to Jesus, to the one I'm talking with you about here. Peter takes them to God's word, to the prophetic witness, so essential. Your testimony, a great way to share what God has done through the Holy Spirit with God's word in your life, but it's his word. It's God's word that saves. It's his word that we need to direct people toward. Isn't that what God says to the Apostle Paul in Romans 10? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. That's where faith comes from. That's where saving faith comes from. And that's the message from God to us here in verse 43. To him, to Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through the name of Jesus, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Remission of sins. We sang about that this morning. Forgiveness. New life in Christ now. Eternal life uh, in Christ. Is there anything more wonderful than remission of sins? Knowing that you could be forgiven. The hope of the gospel. I think of that old chorus. 
gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free, and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea, that's good enough for me. I want to live eternally. Praise God, my sins are G-O-N-E, gone. <laughs> that's the gospel. And then we see these believers baptized in verses 44 to 48. This happens because of the gospel given and received. First of all, they're baptized with the Spirit, verses 44 to 46. If you need evidence that this is a continuing sovereign work of God, here it is. Verse 44 says that as Peter is yet speaking, as he is yet speaking, he's not given any invitation just yet. Now, he's already given enough gospel for a response to occur. But as Peter keeps on preaching, what happens? The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Now, this is a heard the word. This is a particular kind of hearing. It's a, a heard that implies a response was involved. There's an actionable hearing. Uh, the Holy Spirit came to indwell them right then and there. And that means that they had done what Peter had said they needed to back in verse 43. They had seen themselves as a whosoever. They had believed in Jesus and experienced remission of sins. Man, I wish that would happen every single time someone heard the gospel. I mean, that's my heart's desire. But too often it gets to the ears. It might get to the head. It doesn't quite make it to the heart. And that's not what happens here, though. No, instead, they are like how Paul describes these Christians in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 6, he says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. You receive the word with, with much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Ghost. And he later says in chapter 2, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians, when you all received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That's what happened here in Acts 10. Cornelius and his house, they heard the word this way. Let me ask you this. Is this how you respond to God's word? Is that how you come to God's word? Whether it's daily at home in your private time with God or whether it's coming together for worship, do you see it as it is? This is the word of God. It's powerful. It's alive. Do you allow the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to wield it, to convict you of sin, to move you to confession and repentance, to encourage you to greater and greater faith toward Christ. What is so awesome about how all of this happens here uh, uh, is that Peter, <laughs> Peter, apart from just sharing the gospel preaching, uh, Peter had nothing to do with them receiving the Holy Spirit. There was no laying on of hands so that they would receive the Spirit like happened with the, the Christians saved in Samaria. Verse 45 says that Peter and the other Jews that came with him and witnessed this happening, they were astonished. Um, the same Greek word that's used when people saw Jesus calm the sea and, and heard him teach and saw him do miracles. They were out of their minds because the gift of the Holy Ghost was also poured out on the Gentiles. And it was done so in the exact same way that it was poured out on the, uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles on the day of Pentecost. It just came on them. It just fell on them because of their faith. Jew and Gentile receiving the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the exact same way. And Peter and the others, they knew. They knew that Cornelius and the rest of those who had received Christ as Savior, they knew that they'd also received the Holy Spirit because the Gentiles started doing 
what was also done on the day of Pentecost when these apostles received the Holy Spirit. They heard them speak with tongues. They were magnifying God. The same sign gift is evident there. The, the same Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that indwelled Peter and the other ethnically Jewish Christians. It was now indwelling Gentile believers. And they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So why should they not also be baptized in the water? If you look at the sign out front, and that stained glass transom right there, or the front of our bulletin, you'll recognize that Christ Church here in Dublin is Dublin First Baptist Church. And there's some Christians that deem water baptism as unimportant or the way it's done as unimportant. And there's even Baptist churches that want to take that name out of their church's name. And they do. Baptism is important, amen? It's important. It doesn't save us. But like the Lord's Supper... And, and like spending time in God's word, like, like prayer, like serving each other, like assembling together for worship and, and being on mission together for the Lord. Baptism is a means of God sustaining grace in our lives. There's no reason not to do it. And there's no reason to think of it as unimportant. And there's every reason we're given here in God's word to do it and to value it. Baptism is a sign of, of the covenant of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. It's a public proclamation that we have received Christ as our Savior, and we are His, and we're His forever. These final two verses of chapter 10 emphasize its importance for the Jesus follower. Verse 48 says that Peter commanded, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then he stayed with them a few days. It's a command. It's a command. And if you're a Christian and you haven't followed this command... I gotta wonder what else would you tell Jesus? No, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. I mean, if He's your Lord and Savior, do what your Lord and Savior says. If you've received His grace and salvation, will receive a sustaining grace and obedience. You know what a beautiful blessing it is to understand what God is teaching us here in in chapter ten. That every moment of our lives, every breath, every heartbeat, all under God's sovereign control. Every interaction we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, every moment, all of them arranged by God to do what he's commissioned us to do. As you're going, make disciples. Be witnesses of me. Make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. And maybe this morning you've recognized that too often you fail to recognize that. Now, God sets up situations, and God puts you in places, and God enables encounters, even maybe especially ones that seem like obstacles, but in all reality, they're sovereignly sent opportunities that he wants you to seize from here on out to point others to Christ. If that's the case, won't you ask God to forgive you for not noticing them? Ask him to change your perspective and your attentiveness. Say, God, give me a Holy Spirit-infused awareness of the multiple sovereignly sent opportunities to share the gospel with those I encounter that you send my way each day. Uh, every single one of us should be praying that this morning because it's seriously, it's our singular mission as followers of Christ. So even as I'm speaking now, won't you pray, God, help me see them. Help me realize that every single person that I meet, they are an individual who's going to spend eternity somewhere. And God, when I see them, will they give me the Holy Spirit infused courage to do what Peter did, 
And Peter opened his mouth. And he talked about Jesus. Peter communicated Christ. I'll tell you this, friend. If you pray that this morning, God will answer that prayer. How do I know? It's his will for you. <laughs> it's what he wants for you. I mentioned last week how, how this entire passage is positive proof that there, if there's someone out there that the Holy Spirit's drawing and they're responding with whatever level of God they have at that moment, like Cornelius, that, that our gracious God will do whatever it takes. He will arrange for the gospel to get to them that they might be saved. He will send them a Peter or he'll send them a you. We sang that redeeming love has been my theme. And shall be till I die. Is that your theme? You ever notice somebody who's on a new diet and it works for them? Do they talk about it? They talk about it. Or somebody who's just started up CrossFit, that's all they talk about. They're excited about it, right? It's making a life change. Has your life been changed? Is redeeming love your theme? Should it, is it going to be your theme till you die? A student at seminary once asked Charles Spurgeon, the, the heathen, the ones who've never heard the gospel, I mean, can they be saved? And Spurgeon replied, it's more of a question whether we, who have the gospel, but fail to give it to those who don't, whether we are saved. And as Tommy comes and leads us in a moment to respond to God's word, Will you receive his word? Will you receive it in power this morning? Will you commit to seizing and seizing opportunities to have gospel conversations with those God sends your way this week? However God's moving you, the Holy Spirit's calling you to respond. I just ask that you'd obey.